let's go now to a question um it comes in from uh cookie and it is a very good morning to pastor mark quick question a close family friend is really ill and in hospital um and uh, it's so confusing because this friend is truly a man after god's own heart he totally believes in divine healing God has been good to him and has used him to pray for many. Now he lays helpless in hospital and he has uh, refused surgery to his heart. Why is he not being healed? He has great faith. And um, I I can just see from the way that this is written and from the emoticons uh, that this certainly is um, really on your heart, Cookie, and is creating um, some some real pain uh, and confusion to you. I I hope that the answer is pastoral and uh, speaks to your heart and encourages your confidence in God. Um, let, let me take a little bit of time, even before I speak to a particular circumstance, just to put um, both death and disease and turmoil and tribulation and difficulty into context. Cookie, we were not created um, for the mess that we experience in this world. God, when he created the world, created it in untested perfection absolutely perfect and beautiful in every way and you can imagine uh, a good god creating a good creation uh, an imaginative god creating an imaginative creation um just the 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 colors in the world the diversity of animals and of of flowers and of trees and the 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 beauty of things like warmth and 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 cold and god created all of this and he created it perfect and into this perfect world he placed a king and a queen we call them adam and eve and he gave them the world and gave them authority to rule in the world um, he gave them one commandment that they went to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil it was a tree which he had planted in his garden and he gave man a task to tend the garden and to take care of everything and things would have been perfect for all eternity in actual fact we read in that story that God in a peculiar way uh, was God with us over that period of time uh, in Genesis chapter 3 we read of God walking in the cool of the evening and um, calling out to Adam that, that God was with us in sweet communion and sweet fellowship we were created um, eternal beings we had access to what is called the tree of life um, it was a world of no death uh, where people would never die uh, I think of the um, the words of a of a a, a, an artist um, uh, lyrics which he penned um, uh, a number of years ago in fact when I was a kid I used to I used to listen um, to a song called Adam Where Are You by an artist called Don Francisco and his first verse reads like this unashamed and naked in a garden that has never seen the rain rulers of a kingdom full of joy never marred by any pain the morning all around them seems to celebrate the life they've just begun. And in the majesty of innocence, the king and queen come walking in the sun. I think that's wonderful poetic language that really captures 
in essence Genesis chapters 1 and 2 Genesis chapter 1 being the creation of God of everything out of nothing and Genesis chapter 2 being a kind of a a, a deep dive into day 6 the creation of man and woman and man being joined to woman and the two becoming one and really the picture is of everything being very good but as Don Francisco goes on to say in the second verse of his song, the master of deception now begins his dissection of the word. Um, the snake, who we know from the rest of scripture, being Satan, the deceiver, the accuser of the saints, Lucifer, um, the morning star, um, comes into the picture. We, we know from other portions of scripture that Satan had fallen from heaven, taking one third of the angels with him, uh, that this cherub, this beautiful cherub, which was created for the worship of God, now comes to man and uh, deceives Eve and telling her to look upon this fruit, this this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to look on it and 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 undermines what God had said. Did God really say that if you eat of this, you'll surely die? No, no. In fact, God knows if you eat of it, you will be like God, which in actual fact is what Satan wants to be. He wants to be like God, set on God's throne. He wants to be like God, powerful um, over dominion. He, he wants to be like God in every way. And he tempts man with the same evil which is in his heart, to be like God. Well, Eve looks upon the fruit, sees that it is beautiful to look at, um, takes of it, breaks it, and then shares it with Adam. Now, Adam should have known better. He had received the commands of God. Adam should have known better. He should have acted as a federal head um, over Eve and said, Eve, no, we're not to do this. Adam should have known better, created an untested perfection um, in, in innocence. Uh, he should have uh, denied uh, what was being offered to him um, and remained obedient to God. But Adam didn't. Instead, Adam sinned. Um, Adam took of the fruit and Adam ate. And we read in, for instance, Romans chapter 5, that through Adam, sin has come to all the world. So that all the world really groans under the weight of the curse that Adam's sin, the consequences that Adam's sin has wrought. Well, the rest of Genesis chapter 3 is relatively Oh, not relatively, it's totally tragic, um, ex with one exception, and I'll get to that exception now. Um, Genesis chapter 3, uh, God curses. Uh, he curses the serpent, he curses the woman, and he curses Adam. Now, to the serpent, uh, the curse includes um, hostility between the serpent and the woman, between her offspring and your offspring, um, and this promise, this this the seed of promise which we see fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, that the offspring of Eve will ultimately strike the serpent's head, even as the serpent strikes his heel. Um, a pre cursor, a, a proto-evangelion, the, the start, the, the genesis of the gospel, um, even in those words. And so even in the midst of God cursing man because of their sin, God cursing the serpent because of the sin that has entered into the world, we already have the thread of the, salva the, the salvation 
perfect plan that God will use in order to save man from his sins. He, he curses the woman, um, and it's around childbirth, and it's around a desire to be over her husband, um, and this this kind of challenge that men and women will then always face, that he will rule over you, and this tension that now enters even into the relationship between Adam and Eve, even as there is now tension in the relationship between um, God and man. But the last curse he, he leaves for Adam. And he says, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor. All the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow. Just that far, and just to say that, the curse of man includes the curse of all of creation. The reality is sin has affected. Sin has infected all of the world. It is a sad state of affairs. But we currently live in a world which is fallen because of sin, because of the sin of Adam. And then this last part of the curse is really important to the conversation that we're having right now. Until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust and you will return to dust. The bottom line is um, we no longer experience eternal life. We whose souls are made for eternity, <laughs> we who are people who, who have this desire, uh, kind of innate and inside of us to live forever and ever, all of a sudden we are constrained to die in this world. Barred from the tree of life, um, uh, partly probably as a um, as a benefit that we would die a first death, we wouldn't just live in our sinful state forever and ever. Um, but but we will know death. We will understand death. We will each and every single one of us experience death. Um, and we see that in verse 22 when the Lord God said, Since man has become like one, like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take of the tree of life, eat and live forever. In other words, uh, we no longer will live in this first life forever and ever. And we see that playing out in Genesis. If you had to just kind of turn the page over, we see the line of Cain uh, and we see generation of of the issue of Cain, that's Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, and Cain's generations uh, live, and they are wicked people. Um, but there is another child born of Adam and Eve named Seth, and we read about Seth's generations in chapter 5 of the book of, Gen uh, of Genesis. And what we read really is a graveyard as each and every person from the line of Seth dies. So whether it was Adam, whether it was Seth, whether it was Enosh, whether it was Kenan, whether it was Mahalalal, whether it was Jared, whether it was Enoch, whether it was Methuselah, whether it was Lamach. In actual fact, I do need to make an exception in terms of Enoch. But each one of them lived and died and were buried um, because ultimately each one of the children of Adam will face the curse that Adam's uh, that came into the world through Adam. The exception there is Enoch who walked with God. What that meant uh, is that he was not there because God took them. Some of that is shrouded in mystery. Some of that might be revealed in the end times, um, but that's a question for another day. Right now the point that I'm 
that I'd like to make cooking, we need to understand is we live in a fallen world and we live as fallen creatures and we live with the consequence of sin. Adamson, which we have inherited, Adamson, which has been imputed to us, and our own sin. The truth is, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We read that in God's word, both the Old and the New Testament. We read that both before Christ and after Christ, for it's repeated for us in Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. There is no one righteous. No, not one. That includes you. That includes me. That includes everyone that we have ever come into contact with. And so even if a person has placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, they have been granted the second birth. They will still die once unless the Lord comes and brings us home. They will still die once and thereafter face a second and eternal life or a second and eternal death if they die and they are not in Christ. What does that mean? Well, that means that all the issue of Adam, every single generation throughout all time, face the consequences of living in a fallen world. We face the realities of difficulty and turmoil and tribulation and disease and ultimately death. It is a scary reality living in a fallen world. And that doesn't have anything to do or our, our ultimate end our end in death hasn't got anything to do with the size of our faith i mean you think of people even from even from the bible who were of immense faith a man such as moses i mean moses literally saw the face of god uh, well saw the back of god um, and had his face covered uh, he saw the glory of god and yet moses died even before he entered into the promised land so did joshua who took over from moses and um, so did the kings um king david uh, the greatest king a man after god's own heart died so did solomon um David's immensely wise son. Uh, so did the apostles. I mean, the apostles died dreadful deaths, whether it be Matthew or, uh, or, or, or Mark or Luke or John. Did I say Mark? Mark wasn't an apostle. Um, uh, whether that be Bartholomew or um, uh, uh, Peter, each of them died not because they lacked faith. They died because we live in a world where we face the consequences of Adam, which then brings us even to today. The reality is we as believers live in the same world where Adam sinned, and we as believers face the same consequences as believers have throughout all the ages. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, Paul, for instance, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 20, left his friend, and we ascertain from scripture, a faithful saint, Tromphius, sick in Miletus. Um, he left him there because he was ill. He was dreadfully ill. Um, Paul speaks of um, Epaphras as having been near the point of death in the book of Philippians, um, I'm fairly certain. Uh, if you think of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 to 9 Paul speaks of himself and he speaks of a physical ailment that the Lord had declined to heal 
when Paul speaks of uh, to his young uh, protege in the faith, Timothy, he, he tells Timothy uh, quite plainly that he must take a little bit of wine for his stomach because clearly Timothy has something of a stomach ailment. The reality is just because you are in Christ doesn't mean that you are exempt from the curse which has come into this world through Adam. Now, two things. One is, ultimately, what we need to be saved from is not the first death that we will all face um, justly because of our sin. But what we need to be saved from is an eternal separation after that death from God. That is why Jesus came into this world. He came into this world to save his people from their sins. His people in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 to 25 being the Jews and that is certainly where salvation starts but salvation comes to all men through Jesus Christ because just like as in Adam through one man sin has come to all men so in Christ through one man life can come to all men salvation can come to all men Jesus is not just a baby in a major that we celebrate at Christmas Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world that we celebrate at Easter and Jesus is the risen and glorified King of Kings who has ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father on high who we celebrate at Ascension Day Jesus is that King who is coming to take his bride home and to establish his kingdom forever and ever at the end of the book of Revelation that's the hope that we have we have a hope that Jesus Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by putting our faith and our trust in him, we might be saved. I'm reminded in the book of John of Jesus speaking to the two sisters of Lazarus after Lazarus had died in John chapter, let's go with 11, in John chapter 11. And um I mean, it's a very fascinating conversation in the context of what we're speaking about right now, Cookie. Um, in John chapter 11, a man was sick, uh, Lazarus from Bethany. Uh, that was uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. You might remember them. Uh, that's the, the two ladies. The one sat at Jesus' feet and the other served him. And Jesus said that uh, Mary had chosen uh, the better of the two uh, because she had exposed herself to the teaching of Jesus Christ. They, these were people that Jesus was friends with. But in actual fact, um, we, we read about also Mary. Uh, she's the one who anointed Jesus with perfume and, and wiped his feet feet with her hair now it's her brother Lazarus that is sick in John chapter 11 you can read in your own Bible along with me and so the the two sisters they send Jesus a message to say Lord the one you love is sick the one you love in other words this isn't just a person that Jesus knows this is a person that Jesus the son of God loves this is a person who is important to Jesus. Well, when Jesus heard of it, he said to his disciples, look, the sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God, that's him, might be glorified through it. And it says that Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Okay, so it's, John is trying to make it abundantly clear that you understand the relationship that Jesus has with Mary, with Martha, and with Lazarus and so when he heard that he was sick 
He stayed two more days in the place where he was. I mean, it's a shocking statement in the book. You've got this crisis, right? Um, Lazarus is sick, but you have the Son of God that you write a letter to. And not only that, you know him well. (laughs) He likes you. He's friends with you. He loves you. And you write him a letter and you say, hey, listen, Lazarus is sick. And what does Jesus do? Well, he just waits. He just stays where he was. He doesn't rush to Lazarus. After that, he says to his disciples, let us go to Judea. And uh, the disciples say, look, the Jews try to stone you down there. Maybe you shouldn't go. And Jesus says, look, I've come to do exactly that. Um, And then he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. What he really means when he says sleep is that he has died. And he says, "I'm I'm on my way to wake him up. They say, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get well. Jesus, however, was speaking of his death. And so he tells them very plainly that Lazarus has died. The point that I'm trying to make is that when Jesus arrives at Bethany, he has the power to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he does. But before he raises Lazarus from the dead, he has a conversation um, with one of the sisters. Uh, Martha heard that Jesus was coming, and she goes out to meet him. And and um, Mary remains seated at the house, obviously in deep grief. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had have been here, we sent you a note. Can't you remember? You came two days late. He's already, in fact, he's now been dead for for four days. He stinketh, the King James says. Um, He's already started to decompose. It'll tell us later in this text. But the point for now is, Lord, if you had have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Uh, She has faith. She has faith that Jesus can heal, just like you have faith that Jesus can heal, Cookie. Just like the person who is in hospital has great faith that Jesus has the ability to heal. Even now, she says, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus says to her, quite plainly, your brother will rise again. But Martha says, look, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus then says this very profound statement which I think is intrinsic to understanding the great miracle that he does next. The great miracle, you know he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? You know that he has power over death. You know that that is the climax of the story, that, that, this, that, that, that Jesus has power even over death, um, uh, over the first death and certainly over the second. But it's, it's this point um, that is laced into the story, w- which I believe John wants us to hold on to. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asks the question, do you believe this? For a moment, suspend the question that Martha had regarding the resurrection of Lazarus. Hey, in fact, the restoration of Lazarus. If you had have been here, he would have been fine. Even now, I know that God can do anything that you ask him to do those things are true Jesus is about to demonstrate that in raising Lazarus from the dead but before he does that he says listen yeah there's a second death and I have life in me and I can give that life to whoever I choose I am the resurrection and the life do you believe this cookie the truth is each and every single one of us 
will pass through this life. We will fall, we will succumb uh, in this first life. But there is a life to come that Jesus Christ can give us eternal life too. And the question, just like it was given to Martha, and just like it stands for each and every one of us, is do you believe this? Beyond that, though, Cookie, um, Jesus does have power um, in this world. Um, and so he does. He raises Lazarus uh, from the grave. Um, he goes and he sees many people crying. He sees Mary crying. And the Jews who had come along with her are crying. In fact, they're wailing. And he was deeply moved in his stomach. It's a, it's a stomach kind of word in his spirit. And he was troubled. And uh, he asked the question, where have you put them? And Lord, they said, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Now, why did Jesus weep? Uh, I'm fairly certain that Jesus wept um, because of this pantomime of pain which was passing before him that had passed before the eyes of man over and over again, the death of people and this very heart-rendering scene uh, of a funeral. Jesus wept uh, of the despair that he saw. Um, and Jesus wept for his own friend. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the stone. Uh, it was a cave and the stone was lying against it because that's how they did burial back in those days. Remove the stone, Jesus says to them. Um, Martha the man's sister told him, uh, Lord, uh, there's already a stench. He stinketh because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone and Jesus raises his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you for you have heard me. And he prays. And after he had said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. He shouted with a loud voice that can reach across the chasm of death and call the death to life. Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave and you want to know what happens. Jesus has power to raise even the dead and Lazarus raises to life. Now, ought that to be our expectation? Is that normal? Is that normative? The answer is no. Most people that die remain in the grave. Lazarus, certainly an exception to the norm. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross uh, that day, there was a mighty earthquake. The the a curtain in the temple was torn in two uh, and the graves of many saints were opened in Jerusalem and they went out uh, amongst the amongst the city and made themselves known. Uh, is that normal? <laughs> is that the way that God normally operates? No, that was certainly very, very exceptional. Is it possible for God? Well, friends, all things are possible for God. He does precisely what he desires to do. Um, nothing can, no one can stay his hand or tell him he can do one thing or, and not do another. God does what he plans to do. In the book of Acts, we see people raised from the dead. A man falls out of the third story or second story window um, and lands on the ground, breaks his neck, um, and yet he's raised from the dead uh, by the apostle. Um, we see the apostles raising people from the Is that normal though? And the answer is no. <laughs> and even those who are raised from the dead end up dying. <laughs> Lazarus isn't alive and with us today. Lazarus is in a tomb. He is passed from this life and entered into death. Um, and so 
as we think of this world, this fallen world, what we must reconcile ourselves to is this truth that the consequences, the wages of sin is death and we will certainly face the first death. But what we have in the person of Jesus Christ is the promise of eternal life, resurrection um, from the dead, and eternal life with him. And Jesus even asks the question today, do you believe this? I know that there are a number of people listening, um, and I include in that uh, a good friend of mine, uh, uh, Rocky, uh, who has pointed out that I needed to drink some water, except I didn't have a cup of water anyway uh, today, Rocky. And uh, there were a couple of tongue twisters that I, that I had in, <laughs> in, the last, uh, in the last explanation. Um, and a number of you are, are listening in and you're hearing of this, this, this reality of living in a fallen world. And you, you're listening of this reality of, of, of walking really amongst the dead and living a life that will end in dead, in death. But friends, here's the encouragement. In Christ there is life. And God is powerful over all things. That does mean that when people are sick, we do get to pray that if it be according to God's will, that they be healed, that they be healed. I mean, I firmly believe and see that even in the apostles, um, praying for the healing of people uh, in Scripture. But I do note that not everyone um, in the New Testament is prayed for in the same way um, by the apostles. And some um, have ailments which are not healed uh, in the New Testament. Uh, and and even in, in saying that, when you read your Bible through from cover to cover, do you realize how seldom uh, we see so, uh, um, um, uh, the, these kinds of stories of healings uh, in scripture in fact for the first 2500 years of the history of man not one account of a healing i think the first healing uh, is um with uh, with moses recorded with moses in the book of uh, exodus um around the time of the book of exodus the, the first the first bona fide uh, account of healing 2500 years of not speaking about healings at all because it's not normative what is normal is for us to pay the wages of our sin but what is normal is for us to turn to our redeemer and um, the promise in the old testament that was to come the promise in the new testament that has come the lamb of god that takes away the sins of the world and to put our faith and our trust in him